y'all can be seated. You can open up your Bible to uh, a book that we often don't go to at Christmas time, but it's helpful nonetheless, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 11 uh, this morning, but I wanted to say a couple things before uh, we launch into this text. Uh, one is just wanted to give you a heads up that we're having a Christmas Eve service this year, so the 24th, just a couple weeks from now. I believe it's on a Tuesday night this year, uh, but that evening at 6.30, we're going to gather in this room. Any of you who are in town, any relatives or friends uh, that you have in town or that you'd like to invite with you, we'd love to have you be with us. We have a lot of singing planned out that night. Uh, we'll uh, finish out our Advent wreath next Sunday and then uh, that evening, lighting that middle candle. Uh, we'll have a kid's story time and uh, some different opportunities uh, for us to get to celebrate the story of Christ and his coming into the world. Uh, so I would encourage you to come to that on December 24th. And the second thing I uh, want to take a couple minutes to talk about on behalf of the pastors is uh, something that's going to start three weeks from now. We've talked about this a bit, but want to just even the next couple Sundays give reminders about it. Uh, but at the start of the year, we're going to start having something uh, called a ministry microphone here in our church. And we've talked uh, for a few months about gifts of the Spirit uh, and, and our understanding of those things and why we believe they continue and how they're good gifts uh, to our church. And one of the things we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 several weeks ago uh, was this discussion of the, when this church would come together, Paul says. He said, each of you has, and then he mentioned various things that people, as they, God's people as they come together, that they have that they could contribute to help uh, edify the church, to build up the church. And it's not always just supernatural things like prophetic ministry, things like that. Sometimes it was hymns that they would come ready to sing, things like that. And so we're wanting to create a context in which the members of our church, the official members especially, um, are able to, to share things potentially with the church. And we'll do so in an orderly way uh, if or when those are to be shared, and they'll be in a limited capacity. They'll never take over uh, any, uh, in any way, shape, or form our service. And they'll typically probably be done during uh, the worship, the singing time of our service, probably in between songs if people have things to share. But we created a thing that we call an FAQ sheet, a frequently asked questions sheet that's available online about that microphone and why we're even going to do it and how we're going to evaluate what can be shared and when, those types of things, how the elders are going to process those things as those opportunities come up. But I would encourage you to check that out and read it. But I wanted to note a few things in particular about that microphone. Uh, these could be a range of things that you all could share if you're a member of our church. And if you don't know what that means to be a member, I'd love to talk with you about that. But if you're a, an official member of our church, you would be one that could share uh, on those mornings. And you would always, if you would like to share something, and we'll reiterate this next few weeks, but we're going to have a microphone over here. You don't just go up to the microphone and start talking. That would be chaotic, disorderly. But we will always have one or two pastors that are over here. Uh, myself or Pastor Larry or Pastor Rod or Pastor Tom. And you would come, and if there's something that you've had laid upon your heart, either earlier in that week or even that morning as we're worshiping, that you think this would be a helpful thing to share. This would be a text that I think would really be helpful to share from the Bible. Or this is something I feel like the Spirit showed to me that would be an encouraging thing to share with the church. We would ask that you come and talk to us first. That microphone won't even be on, so even if you tried to start talking, nobody's going to hear you. Uh, but you can come talk to us, and we'll process that 
briefly with you and, and think if that fits in the flow of the service and if it's honoring to Christ, if it's true, if it'd be encouraging and helpful to the brothers and sisters that are here. And if it is, if we're all in agreement that it'd be helpful to share, it'd be edifying, uh, then we'll indicate to the worship team that we'd like uh, for someone to share. And then in between songs, typically they would uh, pause and we would invite you to come up and share. So it's not a complicated process, but we want you to know that it'll be done in an orderly way. And if the Spirit makes something uh, of since it makes your heart sensitive to something even in the week before leading up to that service and you think man this is something i really would like to share you can tell us in advance too we would love to hear that and be able to process it in advance if that's something that, that should be shared could be shared uh, but i'm excited for that I'm, I'm eager to see and there may be sundays there may be a lot of sundays where nobody has things to share i hope that's not the case uh, but i'm praying that the spirit would use us to minister to each other even in plan ways that weren't planned but are nonetheless edifying that are, are building up the church. So I'd encourage you to check out that FAQ sheet, uh, read through that, and if you have questions, let us know, but be praying for us as a church too, that the Spirit would give those gifts and that He would make us sensitive even to how we can help each other, how we can build up each other uh, in our worship gathering. All right, we'll say a few more things the next couple weeks about that, but I'll start the first Sunday of September. All right, have you found Ezekiel chapter 11? Uh, in a moment, we're going to read from Ezekiel uh, 11. We'll do verses 14 down all the way through 25 this morning. We want to introduce a little bit of why we picked this text before we read it. Uh, we've been talking this Advent season the last two Sundays. Pastor Larry uh, preached some wonderful sermons for us to start this series where we're calling the series God with Us. And we're trying to take a couple snapshots uh, throughout time where God made very clear his desire to dwell with his people, his desire to be with them. And I was thinking of this this week as we come to this text, the experience that many of us have to varying degrees of what people call homesickness, uh, where we're homesick, whether we've uh, been away for a short season or for whatever reason we've been away from home for a long time, there's this experience that starts to rise up within our heart, particularly if we had a good home uh, that we left where we start to become homesick. And even around Christmas time, you see this uh, in themes of movies, like Hallmark movies, where the, the lady or the guy comes back home and they realize what they missed. Or we have songs like, I'll be home for Christmas, uh, things like that. There's this sentiment, there's, but it's real. It's deeply embedded in us as human beings, this desire to be home. This desire to return to the place that we began, the place that we feel like we belong. And I, I think that God embedded that us in that embedded that in us on purpose because we were made to live in his presence. That's how human beings began was dwelling with God in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we heard a sermon about that two Sundays ago, how God made us to be at home with him, to live with him. And since the fall, since Adam and Eve were given these rules to follow in the Garden of Eden and they disobeyed, God made them God kicked them out of the garden, away from his presence, and to this day, that, that remains, that situation remains for every human being who's born into our world, is that we have this longing to be with God, but our sin separates us from him. So there's this homesickness that people have, that you have, even in your heart, that sometimes you don't even realize to be back with God, to be in that original state that you were made in. But we see throughout history, and we saw this last Sunday, that God didn't just kick human beings out away from him and just leave us in that state that he pursued us 
in his grace, that he went after human beings, that he communicated again in very clear ways that I want to live among you. I want you to live with me. And he did that in a hugely significant way in the tabernacle for the people of Israel. He told them as they had this camp of tents, he said, build me a tent. Like, I want to come and live among you. I want to be right in the center of your camp. And he gave these directions about sacrifices that would need to be made and purification that would need to happen if he was going to be with them, if he was going to be around them. But he granted them this gift of him being in their presence once again, of them being allowed to be, at least be near him, him to be among them. And eventually, past even what Pastor Larry preached for us last Sunday, because we're, we're going to fly over a lot of the Old Testament, what you see happen in history is that eventually that tent, that temporary uh, house of God, eventually became what we call the temple. When they got into the promised land, when they had this capital city of Jerusalem, God gave them this permanent establishment, or they thought it was permanent, of a building that he could dwell in. It was ornate and beautiful that they would call the temple. It was there in Jerusalem in their capital city. But we see history repeated itself. Because Adam and Eve had disobeyed the rules of God in the garden, even though God was with them and God made them leave. God kicked them out. He, he kicked them out that east side of the Garden of Eden. And he did the same thing again in the city of Jerusalem and in that promised land. This nation now, it wasn't just two people, but an entire nation of people had been given rules by God. They'd been given guidance and boundaries that they were supposed to live in. And repeatedly, 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 they defied him. They disobeyed him. And God ultimately, just like he had from the Garden of Eden, he kicked his people out. He kicked his people out of the land, and slowly but surely, God sent a few waves of his enemies, of God's enemies, uh, to come and take over the land of Israel, and ultimately to take over the city of Jerusalem, and to kick God's people out. To send them into what people would call exile. Uh, to send them away from their home. One short verse that says this, and then we'll read uh, from Ezekiel, is if you look back in the book of 2 Kings, it records a lot of this process of how they disobeyed and they disobeyed and they disobeyed. In 2 Kings 24.20, it was this sad statement where the author said this, because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. That should sound familiar to us from the Garden of Eden, that there was this nation now that disobeyed and God became angry with them. And though he was patient and very, very patient with them, eventually his anger uh, came to the point where he kicked them out away from his presence and he sent them into exile. And you can imagine then what this nation is feeling. That it had centuries of living in this land, living in this city, uh, that as they go into exile, they're probably confused probably fearful as they're under the thumb now of, of other governments. They're vulnerable now. They're not in power anymore. And I, I wonder if they sang, just like we sang earlier, something of this effect. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. They, they had this experience of being sent into exile, but God continued to speak to them exile. And that's what we're going to read today, this message that he communicated through the prophet Ezekiel to these people who he had kicked out of the land, these dis disobedient people he had kicked out of the land. What would he say to them? How would he speak to them? What types of things would he communicate? We're going to see that today, and I think it's, it would behoove us to listen to this as well, because we're going to see that we are exiles as well. And that may, might, 
not make sense of you uh, right now, but you'll see that if we are God's people, we are exiles today. And we need to hear, how does God speak to people who are in exile? So let's listen in here, hear the words of Ezekiel inspired by the Holy Spirit that went to these people who are in exile uh, in the land of Babylon. So Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 14 through 25, read like this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. To us this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have Therefore, uh, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after the detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea, to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. This is the word of God. Prophet Ezekiel was one who was already in exile. Uh, Some of the prophets, when we read their message in the Old Testament, some were already in exile. Some had messages given to the people to warn them before they ever went into exile, but Ezekiel was one who was already in exile. He, along with many of God's people, were already in the land of Babylon, that nation that had overrun uh, Jerusalem and had kicked them out. They would call it Chaldea. You may have seen that reference in verse 24. But that's where he was physically. But God had given him these visions, and he would continue to give him these visions of different things that he wanted him to communicate to the people who were in exile, the people who were away from home, feeling that homesickness, and that unsettledness of being in exile. And so God had given him this vision. What we just read is the tail end of one of the first visions that God gave him, where he actually helped him and gave him vision to see things that were happening back home in Jerusalem. So he was far away in Babylon, in what they would call Chaldea, and God gives him this vision of what's happening back in Jerusalem, and in particular, some things that were happening in the temple or around the temple back there um, back home. And we see in this text, and we're going to see very similar things that God would say to us, but we're going to see two things, two messages, if we want to call it, that God was giving through Ezekiel uh, to the people that were in exile in his day. Uh, That's where we're going to start, because that's what this text initially is saying, is these messages he wanted to give to the people in exile. And they're very simple messages, but the first one we're going to see in verses 14 through 16 is this one is that he wanted them to appreciate God's presence in exile. 
that even in exile, he wanted them to know that he was still with them. And that may have seemed foreign to them or wrong to them because God had just kicked them out. He had just pressed them away, far away. Uh, But God wanted to communicate to them that he was still with them, that his presence was still with them even in exile. And so you see in verse 15, as part of this vision that God gave to Ezekiel, he, he has him, or he at least communicates to him, some of the thoughts that are going on with the people who are still back in, in the land of Judah and still in the city of Jerusalem. Because there is a small number of people who the enemies let stay there to just maybe keep working the land or, or keep doing certain things for them back in Jerusalem. And what he records for us is that those people who were in the city, those inhabitants, he calls them, of Jerusalem, in verse 15, they've started to have this prideful attitude because they're still there in Jerusalem. They're still there in Judah. They're starting to have this prideful attitude towards all the people that got sent away. And he tells Ezekiel that they're saying this to these people, go far from the Lord. Like, you're, you're the ones who are away from him. Like, we're here, he said, they say, to us this land is given for a possession. Verse 15. So they think because they're in Jerusalem still, because they're around that building of the temple, they think God is with us. Because because of this city, because of this building, God is with us. And it's you who are far off. It's you who he sent away. He's no longer with you anymore. He is absent from you. He is with us. They think that they they pridefully think they're in the position of being blessed and being with God. That's their assumption. They see, if you look back earlier in verse 11, they, they use this image even of a cauldron. And that they, they act as if these inhabitants of Jerusalem, that they're in the safety of this cauldron with this thick metal, that they're protected against any enemies of God because they're in the city. They have the city of Jerusalem. They have the temple. And God is just going to try, through his message to Ezekiel, to blow that idea out of the water. So it does not matter what city you live in. It does not matter what building you are in. Near it, I am either with you or I am not. And don't be fooled into thinking that because you have the temple or because you're in this city called Jerusalem that you have some special privileges to me. Because he, he acknowledges in verse 16, doesn't he? He acknowledges, yes, I have removed them far off. He's talking in first person, he's saying, I scattered them among the countries, I removed them far off among the nations. Yes, I discipline them. I punish them in a sense by sending them away from the city of Jerusalem, away from the promised land. But look at verse 16, because this is glorious, and they would have rejoiced, I think, to hear this, the people in exile as they heard this. He says, though I removed them far off among the nations, though I scattered them among the countries, then listen to this, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they That would have made, I think, their hearts sore. Uh, To hear God saying, not just their own wishful thinking, but God saying, look, I know they're far away from the land. I know I sent sent them there. He says, I have been a sanctuary to them there. Yeah, they have no temple there. They have no building there. They have no walls to protect them there. They are under the thumb of enemies, but I am with them there. I am with them. This is a beautiful thing because just like God did not leave human beings in their state when he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden and just let us go our own way, he took initiative to go and live among the people of Israel, right? In the tabernacle. When this next wave happens where now he sends this whole nation into exile, 
He doesn't just leave them there to fend for themselves, to be on their own. He says, I have gone to, to be with them. Even in these far lands, I have gone to be with them. I have become their sanctuary there. And at the end of this text, we see very clearly, a very vivid vision that, that God gives Ezekiel, that God's presence was not attached to that building. God's presence was not attached to that city, to the temple or to the city of Jerusalem or to that land. Because Ezekiel sees this vision, starting in verse 22, where he sees these angels who he already had seen them earlier in this vision leave the temple building. They had gone to the, taken the glory of God out of that temple and were on the edge, the, the porch of the temple, so to speak. But now he sees them at the end of this vision. He sees them rise up and take the glory of God even out of the city. So God's presence isn't even in that city anymore. He sees it go to the east side of the city, which would have been the Mount of Olives, and that would have been from where his, his uh, point of view, where the, the glory of God would have gone out of sight. Is that that Mount of Olives? So the glory of God wasn't even in that city anymore. It, it, even if they wished that it was, he sees clearly that it's not, that God's glory has left that city, left that building, and he has gone to be with the exiles in these other lands. And I want you to imagine the comfort that this would have brought to the exiles who heard this. Because that's how the text ended, right? I told the exiles all the things that the Lord has shown me. For them to hear there in Babylon, in Chaldea, where they were probably vulnerable and nervous and confused and wondering what's going to happen to us. For them to hear from Ezekiel that God's presence wasn't just staying in Judah. It wasn't just staying in Jerusalem. That he has come to be with us here. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of us just turning our nose at him over and over and over again, he is showing us grace by coming to be with us even here. He, they would have known, is better than a building. He is stronger than some wall that we thought could protect us because it didn't. He, he, he is with us. Even when we're in these bleak circumstances, he is with us and he wanted them to know he was with them and to take take pleasure, take delight, take courage in knowing he is with us even in exile. But in this text, I think we see the second message that he wanted to communicate to these exiles was that he wanted them to anticipate God's presence in the future. Uh, he was telling them about what was going on right in that moment and saying, I'm with you, I've come to be with you. But he points them ahead in time as well uh, to this time when his presence was going to be even fuller. And you get a hint in verse seven or in verse sixteen, excuse me, back in that text where he says, "I've been a sanctuary to them in exile." You get a hint even in that sentence that there was a limited sense in which God was with them there in Babylon, because he says this. He says, "Yet I have been a sanctuary to them." Your text may say, "For a while in the countries where they have gone." Uh, that that phrase also could mean some of yours maybe even have a footnote that it, it may even mean in small measure that I've been with them. Uh, so there's this sense where God's presence is not fully, totally, perfectly with his people in exile. It's, it's real. It's true. He is with them, but there's a limited nature of that. It's not the full expression of his presence as it someday will be. I, I was thinking in our modern day world of how we get a little taste of this, where because of technology, I don't know how many of you use things like FaceTime or Skype, things like that. You can talk to somebody in real time who's halfway around the world, who's nowhere near you, and in a sense, you are in their presence. You are talking to them. You can encourage each other. You can ask questions. You can 
dialogue. You are, in a sense, in each other's presence, yet it's in small measure. It's not full. Like, you can't reach out and touch them. You can't give them a hug. You can't uh, literally eat a meal together or pass them food. So you're in their presence, but not fully in their presence. And in a sense, that's what's going on with these exiles, that God is with them. He's saying, take courage from that. I'm with you. But he wants them to know it's limited. But he also wants them to know, and we see Ezekiel communicating this, that someday in the future from them, they would be fully in his presence. All the problems that kept their dis- that resulted in them being at a distance from God, all of those are going to be dissolved away. And where God is going to be with him, and all those things are going to be healed and cured, and his presence is going to be enjoyed forever. You see this in verses 17 through 25. These are all future-oriented uh, discussions, future-oriented things, 17 to 21, excuse me, uh, that God is going to tell them, I will do this, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to bring this about someday for you. So in verse 17, he says that someday he's going to gather them from all those lands he sent them to. He's going to gather them together in one place again, in the land of Israel. In verse 18, he says that someday in the future he's going to remove all the evil, there even he says, going to remove all the evil things that they would run after, all the idols that they would worship, all the the detestable things that they would set up or do. He says that someday those are going to be all removed. They're going to all be done away with. But the problem with them was always not just those objects, right, as if they just removed those things, everything would be fine. The problem with Israel, the problem with us is sinful hearts that worship. God even says that. He knows that is the deeper problem. So in verse 19, he says, I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. He says, I'm going to take this heart of stone that is within their hearts, and I'm going to remove it, I'm going to embed in them, I'm going to put in them a heart of flesh that will actually obey me, that will actually keep my rules, follow my statutes. He says he's going to give them new hearts. And then in verse 21, we see him giving a future statement where those who do not change, those who continue to follow after the detestable things, who continue to worship other gods, he says, I will someday bring their deeds upon their own heads. I'm going to change many, many, many people, but there are some who will not be changed, and I'm going to judge them. So God is pointing ahead to these these future times where for those who are changed, for those who are truly his people, his presence is going to be deep and perfect and enduring. But for those who are his enemies, there's going to be final judgment that comes for them. God wanted his people to yearn, even in Ezekiel's day, he wanted them to yearn for a time where there was going to be a new covenant established. where, Where he says that someday they shall be my people and I will be their God. He was wanting to point them ahead to this time where there would be even this new covenant, this new arrangement where the things that were problematic, these hearts of flesh, would be given to people that had hearts of stone. Where these people who had gone after these detestable things are no longer going to go after these detestable things. He wanted them to look forward to this time where his presence would be experienced more deeply. Where all the problems would be many of you know, if we had time, we could read through the entire history of the Old Testament, that within a few generations, they actually did get to come back to the land. They actually did get to come back to the land of Israel. They actually did start to even rebuild a temple. 
They actually did start to come back to the land. So that seemed like, oh, okay, all this is going to start to happen. All this is going to get fixed. Like God's going to be with us, and we're not going to have this cycle over and over again of us disobeying anymore and God having to send us away. But that is not what took place. When they went back into the land, when they physically went back to the land of Israel and into the city of Jerusalem a few generations after this, their sinful hearts remained. Those hearts of stone were still in their chest. They continued to have detestable things and abominations that they would run after. They were not walking in God's statutes or keeping his rules or obeying them. So they were back in the land, but the problem still remained. So God's presence was not being enjoyed fully, but all of this started to, to be resolved. And these, the rest of these things Ezekiel saw coming started to come true only when Jesus came, when he entered into it. And when Jesus finally came into the world, which we celebrate at Christmas time, he came into the world, he started to fix all of these problems that God said needed to get fixed. He started to, to resolve all these things that were keeping human beings away from God. He started to resolve them and bring us back to our heavenly home. Started to do the things necessary to bring us back to God. Because we see in the nations of, nation of Israel's history that the greatest problem that they had and the greatest problem that we have was not exile from a country, or exile from some specific spot of land on the planet, but it was exile from God. And just going back to some place on the planet, going back to some building, was not going to fix anything. Even when they were there, they were still in exile in a sense from God because of their sin, and they could do nothing to fix it. They couldn't get themselves to go back to heaven. They couldn't get themselves to go back to God, and you can't get yourself back to God. You can't get yourself back to the creator who made you. We are in exile as well. We are in exile from God. But praise God that he sent Jesus to bring us back home to him. Jesus came from heaven, right? He came from that home that we've been exiled from. That's where he came from, was from heaven. And he came to earth and became one of us. Became a human being. But his heart was not a heart of he did not run after the detestable things that we run after and the idols that we run after, that the nation of Israel ran after. His heart was pure. He had a heart of flesh from the beginning. He lived perfectly obedient. But when he went to the cross, when he went to the cross, he took our disobedience. He took the things that we had done that earned exile, that, that deserved judgment. He took those things upon himself and he took the full punishment he took the full weight of God's anger, that same anger that drove him to send these people into exile. Uh, just even more abundant was his anger towards us for our sin, and Jesus took all of it upon himself. He took it all upon himself on the cross, and he was laid in the tomb. He was buried, and on the third day, God raised him from the dead, showing that he approved of that sacrifice, showing that, that he accepted the sacrifice of his son, that he approved of his son. And by his Holy Spirit now, Jesus can actually change the hearts of people like us. He can do what we are not capable of doing. He can take our hearts of stone and he can give us hearts of flesh. 
He can take people who were disobedient to God and who could not be obedient to God and actually make us become people who obey him. Make us become people who walk in his statutes with power to do so. And Jesus, this is glorious. I've thought a lot about this this week. Jesus, 40 days after he was raised from the dead, he ascended back to heaven, right? He went back to that heavenly home that he had come from. That is where he is at right now, is with God the Father at the home that we are homesick for. That is where he is right now. And he has said, someday I will return. Someday I will return. And someday when I return, that heavenly home is going to come down to earth. And I'm going to set up a new earth. I'm going to set up a kingdom where there is no more sin. There is no more death. There is no more suffering. That, that home with God is going to merge with earth. And for his people, those who are united with him, they will get to enjoy my presence that homesickness will be resolved. You will never have those pangs of homesickness anymore because you will be with God forever and ever and ever. And only Jesus can do that. And it is when he returns that 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 awful side of what Ezekiel sees, verse 21, is going to come true as well. Where that presence of God, as it comes and we get to enjoy it as his people forever, there's also going to be judgment that comes for those who are not his people. I want to call upon any of you who are in this room to return to God today. Because when Jesus comes back, it's not just going to be sweetness and delight and God's presence in a good way for everyone. If we have not given our life to the Lord, if we have not turned our hearts in repentance and faith towards Jesus, when he comes back, there is judgment that is coming. If we have gone after these detestable things and we have not given our our lives to the Lord and had him change us, then our deeds will be brought upon our heads. And we will have that homesickness in a sense embedded in us forever. And we will never be allowed to be with God with his favor, with his blessings. I would call upon any in this room, no matter what age you are, no matter how many times you've been to church, return to You have this homesickness in your heart that you might not even realize. And he tells you, if you will place your trust in my son, Jesus, if you will turn away from your sins, I will forgive you and I will receive you into my family. I will make you one of my children and someday I'll return and be with you forever. And he offers to you that free and clear today. And he is the one who can change you. He is the one who can do that. So God gave these messages to these exiles to, to, to appreciate his presence even in exile and then to anticipate his deeper, fuller presence in the future. And I want to show you briefly this morning the, how we can hear and should hear, even in this text, similar messages given to us today. Because we are not that different. We are in exile as well. And the first thing I would say is that very similar to them is that God would want us, if we are part of his people, to appreciate his presence in our exile. To know that we are in exile right now if we are Christians, if we are believers. You know what the the scriptures say about us several times, especially in the New Testament, is if we have been united with Jesus, that one who is now with the Father in heaven, in our heavenly home, that the scriptures say very clearly that if we're united with him, we are now citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says this explicitly. Paul said that our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are first and foremost citizens not of Kosciuszko County, of 
Alabama, or the United States of America, but citizens of heaven. That is our true home. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Peter described Christians as sojourners and exiles. That we are people who are not in our home right now. We are people who are here on this fallen, broken planet, but our home is in heaven. We are sojourners here. We are exiles here for this season of our life. And just like God had scattered his people in Ezekiel's day among the nations, he scattered us among the nations. Not as judgment, not as discipline, but he has scattered us around this planet, and we are in exile in a sense right now from heaven, from our heavenly home. We are not allowed at this time to be there with him and within the physicality of his presence. But just like these exiles, God is with Though we are not home with him right now, we are in this other place, this broken place. God is with us. I love this. Uh, when Jesus ascended back into heaven, do you know what mountain he ascended to heaven from? It's this mountain that Ezekiel is talking about here. When he saw the glory of God go up from that temple, go up from that city, and go to the east side of Jerusalem, that was the Mount of Olives. And that is the same mountain that our Savior Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven from. Hundreds of years later, Jesus ascended from that mountain to go back to heaven to be with his Father, to go to our home. And what is one of the things that Jesus said as he got ready to leave? He said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But though Jesus has gone back into heaven and he is at home with the Father, he has not just left us here without him. He has sent his Holy Spirit to all of us who are united with him. He has sent his presence by the Holy Spirit to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Even as we are away from home and feel that homesickness right now, he is with us. And that is such good news for us because when we live as exiles on this planet, there's all sorts of temptations that we face because we're not at our heavenly. There's all sorts of temptations that we face when we live in exile here on earth. We feel a temptation, just like these people did in Ezekiel's day, to worry, for example, to be fearful, because we feel how powerless we are at times, because death comes for us, mistreatment comes for us, suffering comes for us, and we feel very powerfully that we are not at home, we are not with our God, because if he was fully, truly with us in the sense he someday will, then we would not have to endure these things. And we can feel this temptation to worry, to be discouraged, but we can have confidence that he is with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our mistreatment, in the midst of our trials. When we feel our weakness, we can remember his power, that he is with us as exiles. As exiles in the world, we can feel a temptation to compromise. We can feel a temptation just like the exiles felt in Babylon, to start to become like the Babylonians. We can feel, even as Christians who are citizens of heaven, we can start to feel this temptation to become like the world because it's what we see around us. We see things celebrated. We see things praised. We see things enjoyed by people that we know are not for us to enjoy, that are not for us to praise, that are not for us to run after. But because we are among this world and because we see these things unfold and be celebrated, our hearts can be tempted to run after those things as well. We can start to live as if this life is all we have. 
I need to, to get the things I can. I need to enjoy the things I can. I need to, 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 to fight and scratch and claw to get everything I can for this world as if the end of my life is when I'm laid in the grave. We can be tempted to, to love the things that the world loves, things like power and money and experiences. We can seek to pursue those things and find delight in those things and forget that our, our home is in heaven, that we don't need to run after all these trivial, fleeting pleasures of sin like the writer of Hebrews talks about because we have God himself. And we dare not disobey him because he seems out of sight to us. We dare not run away from him because we think he's not with us and not near to us. He says, I am with you. I am even in you by my Holy Spirit. Obey me. Do not blend in. Do not become like a chameleon who just becomes like the world that you live in. Remember that you belong to me and that you're a citizen of Another thing we can run into as exiles, and it's important to remember God's presence, is I, I see this happen in my own heart sometimes. Is sometimes as Christians or as group of, groups of Christians, we can look around and see that we live in the world, that we're not really at home, and we can be tempted to detach from the world and start to only be friends with Christians, to start to act like we need to just... Uh, shelter in place and we just need to keep to ourselves and we need to, to be self-protective and, and, and just look down upon everybody who's out in the world and just sort of huddle up like a holy huddle of Christians and never really engage the world that we live in. To act as if because my home is heavenly then I have no place in impacting this world and impacting this society that I'm in. You hear the phrase sometimes that people say a person is so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. That is a real temptation where we can look at the world and think, and I just need to avoid these people. I just need to avoid these things and just keep with my Christian friends and someday God's either going to take me home to be with him or he's going to return. But that is not how God intends for us to live as exiles. We are to be mindful of the things that they may tempt us toward. We are to be mindful of not following their pattern of life. But God leaves us here as exiles with a mission to with a mission to execute, to say, there are people in this world that I intend to rescue, just like I rescued you. Go talk to them. Go engage with them. Go seek to benefit them. Go seek to love them. I think sometimes we tend to think of ourselves almost like tourists, or we maybe think of ourselves in the world as like we have kind of this embassy here that we just huddle up in amongst a dangerous land, and we never go outside of it. We never go talk to people. We never engage them. But God calls us not... Uh, people to be just tourists or people who huddle together, but he calls us to be ambassadors for him, to represent him, to engage the world, to tell them the good news of Christ. And he empowers us to do that. He's with us as we do that. He's not just with us to, to huddle together and never talk to people, but he is with us to share the good news, to see it change people, see it impact people. The second thing, and I'll end with this, is that, that God, just like he wanted the people of Ezekiel's day, that he wants us to look to the future, the time where we will enjoy his presence in eternity. Uh, he wants us to know that though he is with us right now by his Holy Spirit, that someday when the Son of God returns, that he, we are going to enjoy his presence in eternity forever, uh, that the heaven is going to merge with earth in this new earth where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more mistreatment, no more and we as Christians are called to long for that, to not just be so content and settled in this world that we forget there is a far greater reality to come.
when God comes and dwells among us forever. The book of Hebrews a few different times talks about this. Uh, I was thinking of this. They, they were talking about in Hebrews chapter 11, people of the Old Testament who had faith in God's promises. And it, it describes how they had faith, they trusted in God's promises, but they didn't get in this life to enjoy the things that they were longing for, the things that God had promised. And in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16, it describes this and says that those people desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And that God has, he says, God has prepared for them a city. And it wasn't the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't the promised land of Judah. They, he gave them this desire for a heavenly country, desire for a heavenly city where they could be with God. And then later in the book of Hebrews, talking about us as Christians today, Hebrews 13, 14, it says, here on this earth, here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And that should be a desire in our hearts, is not that we just make this world as best as we can, but that we have a longing for the city that is to come, where, where God will someday make this, what he calls a new Jerusalem, come down from heaven, and where all things will be fixed, and God will be with his people few weeks from today, uh, uh, Jake Osborne is going to get to preach about that very thing uh, from the book of Revelation, that, that new earth where God will be with his people forever, uh, where there will be no even temple anymore. There will be no, uh, no need for it anymore because God will be with his people forever. And that is a sweet, glorious reality that we can look forward to that it helps us to endure sufferings and pains in this life because we have confidence someday God will be with us fully and perfectly mentioned homesickness at the beginning. Homesickness is kind of a, a two-edged sword. Homesickness can be a really painful thing, can't it? If there's a, a homesickness in your heart to go to a place, to go to a person, to go to a town where it just either isn't there anymore, or there's, you know there's no possibility for you to actually be there, to have sweetness of experience there, then homesickness is this bitter thing with, inside of you this longing for something you cannot have and it grieves your heart but homesickness can also be a really sweet thing like when you know i am going to get to come home i am going to get to be with those people i am going to get to be with that person homesickness can actually be this compelling sweet thing as well that that wells up within us because we know it will become reality that's the type of homesickness that we ought to have as god's because of the work of Christ. It's not this homesickness to be with God that we think can never be, that can never come true and it's become this bitter thing in us, but a homesickness to be with God, to be with him forever because we know it will be, because we know he will return for us. We know we will get to be with him forever. May we appreciate his presence here in our trials and may we anticipate 